0: chapter forty-two of barchester towers by anthony trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by nick whitley Purley, united kingdom chapter forty-two allathon sports act three and now miss thorne's guests were beginning to take their departure and the amusement of those who remained was becoming slack it was getting dark and ladies in mourning costumes were thinking that if they were to appear by candlelight they ought to readjust themselves some young gentlemen had been heard to talk so loud that prudent mammas determined to retire judiciously and the more discreet of the male sex whose libations had been moderate felt that there was not much more left for them to do Morning parties as a rule are failures People never know how to get away from them gracefully. A picnic, on an island, or a mountain, or in a wood, may perhaps be permitted. There is no master of the mountain bound by courtesy to bid you stay, while in his heart he is longing for your departure. But in a private house, or in private grounds, a morning party is a bore. One is called on to eat and drink at unnatural hours. One is obliged to give up the day, which is useful, and is then left without resource for the evening, which is useless. One gets home fagged and dis and yet at an hour too early for bed. There is no comfortable resource left. Cards in these genteel days are among the things tabooed, and a rubber of whist is impracticable. All this began now to be felt. Some young people had come with some amount of hope that they might get up a dance in the evening, and were unwilling to leave till all such hope was at an end. Others, fearful of staying longer than was expected, had ordered their carriages early, and were doing their best to go solicitous for their servants and horses the countess and her noble brood were among the first to leave and as regarded the on george it was certainly time that he did so her ladyship was in a great fret and fume those horrid roads would she was sure be the death of her if unhappily she were caught in them by the dark night the lamps she was assured were good but no lamp could withstand the jolting of the roads of east barsetshire the de courcy property lay in the western division of the county mrs browdie could not stay when the countess was gone so the bishop was searched for by the revs messrs gray and green and found in one corner of the tent enjoying himself thoroughly in a disquisition on the hebdomadal board he obeyed however the behests of his lady without finishing the sentence in which he was promising to dr gwynne that his authority at oxford should remain unimpaired and the episcopal horses turned their noses towards the palatial stables then the grantlys went before they did so mr harding managed to whisper a word into his daughter's ear of course he said He would undeceive the grantlys as to that foolish rumour about mr slope no 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 said eleanor pray do not pray wait till i see you you will be home in a day or two and then i will explain to you everything i shall be home to-morrow said he i am so glad said eleanor you will come and dine with me and then we shall be so comfortable mr harding promised He did not exactly know what there was to be explained, or why Dr. Grantly's mind should not be disabused of the mistake into which he had fallen. But nevertheless he promised. He owed some reparation to his daughter, and he thought that he might best make it by obedience. And thus the people were thinning off by degrees as Charlotte and Eleanor walked about in quest of Bertie their search might have been long had they not happened to hear his voice he was comfortably ensconced in the ha-ha with his back to the sloping side smoking a cigar and eagerly engaged in conversation with some youngster from the further side of the county whom he had never met before who was also smoking under bertie's pupilage, and listening with open ears to an account given by his companion of some of the pastimes of eastern clime "'Bertie, I am seeking you everywhere,' said Charlotte. "'Come up here at once.' Bertie looked up out of the Ha-Ha, and saw the two ladies before him. As there was nothing for him but to obey, he got up and threw away his cigar. From the first moment of his acquaintance with her he had liked Eleanor Bold. Had he been left to his own devices— had she been penniless and had it then been quite out of the question that he should marry her he would most probably have fallen violently in love with her but now he could not help regarding her somewhat as he did the marble workshops at carrara as he had done his easel and palette, as he had done the lawyers chambers in london in fact as he had invariably regarded everything by which it had been proposed to him to obtain the means of living. Eleanor Bold appeared before him no longer as a beautiful woman, but as a new profession, called matrimony. It was a profession indeed requiring but little labour, and one in which an income was insured to him. But nevertheless he had been, as it were, goaded on to it. His sister had talked to him of Eleanor, just as she had talked of busts and portraits bertie did not dislike money but he hated the very thought of earning it he was now called away from his pleasant cigar to earn it by offering himself as a husband to mrs bold the work indeed was made easy enough for in lieu of his having to seek the widow the widow had apparently come to seek him he made some sudden absurd excuse to his auditor, and then, throwing away his cigar, climbed up the wall of the ha ha and joined the ladies on the lawn. Come and give Mrs. Bold an arm, said Charlotte, while I set you on a piece of duty which, as a pre chevalier, you must immediately perform your personal danger will i fear be insignificant, as your antagonist is a clergyman. Bertie immediately gave his arm to Eleanor, walking between her and his sister. He had lived too long abroad to fall into the Englishman's habit of offering each an arm to two ladies at the same time—a habit, by the by, which foreigners regard as an approach to bigamy, or a sort of incipient Mormonism the little history of mr slope's misconduct was then told to bertie by his sister eleanor's ears tingling the while and well they might tingle if it were necessary to speak of the outrage at all why should it be spoken of to such a person as mr stanhope and why in her own hearing she knew she was wrong and was unhappy and dispirited yet she could think of no way to extricate herself, no way to set herself right. Charlotte spared her as much as she possibly could, spoke of the whole thing as though Mr. Slope had taken a glass of wine too much, said that, of course, there would be nothing more about it, but that steps must be taken to exclude Mr. Slope from the carriage. "'Mrs. Bold need be under no alarm about that,' said Bertie. Mr. Slope has gone this hour past. He told me that business made it necessary that he should start at once for Barchester. He is not so tipsy at any rate but what he knows his fault, said Charlotte. Well, my dear, that is one difficulty over. Now I'll leave you with your true knight, and get Madeline off as quickly as I can. The carriage is here, I suppose, Bertie. It has been here for the last hour. That's well good-bye my dear of course you'll come in to tea i shall trust to you to bring her bertie even by force if necessary and so saying charlotte ran off across the lawn leaving her brother alone with the widow as miss stanhope went off eleanor bethought herself that as mr slope had taken his departure there no longer existed any necessity for separating mr stanhope from his sister madeline who so much needed his aid it had been arranged that he should remain so as to preoccupy mr slope's place in the carriage and act as a social policeman to effect the exclusion of that disagreeable gentleman but mr slope had effected his own exclusion and there was no possible reason now why bertie should not go with his sister at least eleanor saw none and she said as much oh let charlotte have her own way said he she has arranged it and there will be no end of confusion if we make another change charlotte always arranges everything in our house and rules us like a despot but the signora said eleanor oh the signora can do very well without me indeed she will have to do without me he added thinking rather of his studies in carrara than of his barchester Hymenials why you are not going to leave us asked eleanor it has been said that bertie stanhope was a man without principle he certainly was so he had no power of using active mental exertion to keep himself from doing evil evil had no ugliness in his eyes virtue no beauty he was void of any of these feelings which actuate men to do good but he was perhaps equally void of those which actuate men to do evil. He got into debt with utter recklessness, thinking nothing as to whether the tradesman would ever be paid or not. But he did not invent active schemes of deceit for the sake of extracting the goods of others. If a man gave him credit, that was the man's lookout. Bertie Stanhope troubled himself nothing further. In borrowing money he did the same he gave people references to his governor told them that the old chap had a good income and agreed to pay sixty per cent for the accommodation all this he did without any scruple of conscience but then he never contrived active villainy in this affair of his marriage it had been represented to him as a matter of duty that he ought to put himself in possession of mrs bold's hand and fortune and at first he had so regarded it. About her he had thought but little. It was the customary thing for men situated as he was to marry for money, and there was no reason why he should not do what others around him did. And so he consented. But now he began to see the matter in another light. He was setting himself down to catch this woman, as a cat sits to catch a mouse he was to catch her and swallow her up, her and her child, and her houses and land, in order that he might live on her instead of on his father. There was a cold, calculating, cautious cunning about this quite at variance with Bertie's character. The prudence of the measure was quite as antagonistic to his feelings as the iniquity. And then, should he be successful, what would be the reward? Having satisfied his creditors with half of the widow's fortune, he would be allowed to sit down quietly at Barchester, keeping economical house with the remainder. His duty would be to rock the cradle of the late Mr. Bold's child, and his highest excitement a demure party at Plumstead Rectory, should it ultimately turn out that the archdeacon would be sufficiently reconciled to receive him. There was very little in the programme to allure such a man as Bertie Stanhope. Would not the Carrara workshop, or whatever worldly career fortune might have in store for him, would not almost anything be better than this? The lady herself was undoubtedly all that was desirable, but the most desirable lady becomes nauseous when she has to be taken as a pill. He was pledged to his sister, however— and let him quarrel with whom he would it behoved him not to quarrel with her if she were lost to him all would be lost that he could ever hope to derive henceforward from the paternal roof-tree his mother was apparently indifferent to his weal or woe to his wants or his warfare his father's brow got blacker and blacker from day to day as the old man looked at his hopeless son and as for madeline poor madeline whom of all of them he liked the best she had enough to do to shift for herself no come what might he must cling to his sister and obey her behests let them be ever so stern or at the very least seem to obey them could not some happy deceit bring him through in this matter so that he might save appearances with his sister and yet not betray the widow to her ruin "'What if he made a confederate of Eleanor? 'Twas "'Twas in this spirit that Bertie Stanhope set about his wooing.' "'But you are not going to leave Barchester?' asked Eleanor. "'I do not know,' he replied. "'I hardly know yet what I am going to do, "'but it is at any rate certain that I must do something.' "'You mean about your profession?' said she. "'Yes, about my profession, if you can call it one.' "'And is it not one?' said Eleanor were i a man i know none i should prefer to it except painting and i believe the one is as much in your power as the other yes just about equally so said bertie with a little touch of inward satire directed at himself he knew in his heart that he would never make a penny by either i have often wondered mr stanhope why you do not exert yourself more said eleanor who felt a friendly fondness for the man with whom she was walking but i know it is very impertinent in me to say so impertinent said he not so but much too kind it is much too kind in you to take any interest in so idle a scamp but you are not a scamp though you are perhaps idle and i do take an interest in you a very great interest she added in a voice which almost made him resolve to change his mind and when i call you idle i know you are only so for the present moment why can't you settle steadily to work here in barchester and make busts of the bishop dean and chapter or perhaps if i achieve a great success obtain a commission to put up an elaborate tombstone over a prebendary's widow a dead lady with a grecian nose a bandeau and an intricate lace veil lying of course on a marble sofa from among the legs of which death will be creeping out and poking at his victim with a small toasting-fork eleanor laughed but yet she thought that if the surviving prebendary paid the bill the object of the artist as a professional man would in a great measure be obtained i don't know about the dean and chapter and the prebendary's widow said eleanor of course you must take them as they come but the fact of your having a great cathedral in which such ornaments are required could not but be in your favour no real artist could descend to the ornamentation of a cathedral said bertie who had his ideas of the high ecstatic ambition of art as indeed all artists have who are not in receipt of a good income buildings should be fitted to grace the sculpture not the sculpture to grace the building yes when the work of art is good enough to merit it do you mr stanhope do something sufficiently excellent and we ladies of barchester will erect for it a fitting receptacle come what shall the subject be i'll put you in your pony chair mrs bold as danica put ariadne on her lion only you must promise to sit for me my ponies are too tame i fear and my broad-brimmed straw-hat will not look so well in marble as the lace veil of the prebendary's wife.' "'If you will not consent to that, Mrs. Bold, I will consent to try no other subject in Barchester.' "'You are determined, then, to push your fortune in other lands?' "'I am determined,' said Bertie slowly and significantly, as he tried to bring up his mind to a great resolve i am determined in this matter to be guided wholly by you wholly by me said eleanor astonished at and not quite liking his altered manner wholly by you said bertie dropping his companion's arm and standing before her on the path in their walk they had come exactly to the spot in which eleanor had been provoked into slapping mr slope's face Could it be possible that this place was peculiarly unpropitious to her comfort? Could it be possible that she should here have to encounter yet another amorous swain? If you will be guided by me, Mr Stanhope, you will set yourself down to steady and persevering work, and you will be ruled by your father as to the place in which it will be most advisable for you to do so. Nothing could be more prudent, if only it were practicable, but now if you will let me i will tell you how it is that i will be guided by you and why will you let me tell you i really do not know what you can have to tell no you cannot know it is impossible that you should but we have been very good friends mrs bold have we not yes i think we have said she observing in his demeanour an earnestness very unusual with him "'You were kind enough to say just now that you took an interest in me, and I was perhaps vain enough to believe you. There is no vanity in that. I do so as your sister's brother, and as my own friend also.' "'Well, I don't deserve that you should feel so kindly towards me,' said Bertie, "'but upon my word I am very grateful for it.' And he paused a while, hardly knowing how to introduce the subject that he had in hand and it was no wonder that he found it difficult. He had to make known to his companion the scheme that had been prepared to rob her of her wealth. He had to tell her that he had intended to marry her without loving her, or else that he loved her without intending to marry her. And he had also to bespeak from her not only his own pardon, but also that of his sister— and induce mrs bold to protest in her future communion with charlotte that an offer had been duly made to her and duly rejected bertie stanhope was not prone to be very diffident of his own conversational powers but it did seem to him that he was about to tax them almost too far he hardly knew where to begin and he hardly knew where he should end by this time eleanor was again walking on slowly by his side not taking his arm as she had heretofore done but listening very intently for whatever bertie might have to say to her i wish to be guided by you said he indeed in this matter there is no one else who can set me right oh that must be nonsense said she well listen to me now mrs bold and if you can help it pray don't be angry with me angry said she oh indeed you will have cause to be so you know how very much attached to you my sister charlotte is Eleanor acknowledged that she did indeed she is i never knew her to love any one so warmly on so short an acquaintance you know also how well she loves me Eleanor now made no answer but she felt the blood tingle in her cheek as she gathered from what he said the probable result of this double-barrelled love on the part of Miss Stanhope. I am her only brother, Mrs Bold, and it is not to be wondered at that she should love me. But you do not yet know Charlotte. You do not know how entirely the well-being of our family hangs on her. Without her to manage for us, I do not know how we should get on from day to day. You cannot yet have observed all this. Eleanor had indeed observed a good deal of this. She did not, however, now say so, but allowed him to proceed with his story. "'You cannot therefore be surprised that Charlotte should be most anxious to do the best for us all.' Eleanor said that she was not at all surprised. "'And she has had a very difficult game to play, Mrs. Bold, a very difficult game. Poor Madeline's unfortunate marriage and terrible accident.' my mother's ill health my father's absence from england and last and worse perhaps my own roving idle spirit have almost been too much for her you cannot wonder if among all her cares one of the foremost is to see me settled in the world eleanor on this occasion expressed no acquiescence she certainly supposed that a formal offer was to be made and could not but think that so singular an exordium was never before made by a gentleman in a similar position. Mr. Slope had annoyed her by the excess of his ardour. It was quite clear that no such danger was to be feared from Mr. Stanhope. Prudential motives alone actuated him. Not only was he about to make love because his sister told him, but he also took the precaution of explaining all this before he began. "'Twas thus, we may presume, that the matter presented itself to Mrs. Bold. "'When he had got so far, Bertie began poking the gravel with a little cane which he carried. "'He still kept moving on, but very slowly, and his companion moved slowly by his side, "'not inclined to assist him in the task, the performance of which appeared to be difficult "'to him. "'Knowing how fond she is of yourself, Mrs. Bold,' "'Cannot you imagine what scheme should have occurred to her?' "'I can imagine no better scheme, Mr. Stanhope, than the one I proposed to you just now.' "'No,' said he, somewhat lackadaisically. "'I suppose that would be the best. "'But Charlotte thinks another plan might be joined with it. "'She wants me to marry you.' "'A thousand remembrances flashed across Eleanor's mind all in a moment.' how charlotte had talked about and praised her brother how she had continually contrived to throw the two of them together how she had encouraged all manner of little intimacies how she had with singular cordiality persisted in treating eleanor as one of the family all this had been done to secure her comfortable income for the benefit of one of the family Such a feeling as this is very bitter when it first impresses itself on a young mind. To the old, such plots and plans, such matured schemes for obtaining the goods of this world without the trouble of earning them, such long-headed attempts to convert Tuum into Meum, are the ways of life to which they are accustomed. "'Tis thus that many live.' and it therefore behoves all those who are well-to-do in the world to be on their guard against those who are not. With them it is the success that disgusts, not the attempt. But Eleanor had not yet learnt to look on her money as a source of danger. She had not begun to regard herself as fair game, to be hunted down by hungry gentlemen. She had enjoyed the society of the Stanhope's she had greatly liked the cordiality of charlotte and had been happy in her new friends now she saw the cause of all this kindness and her mind was opened to a new phase of human life miss stanhope said she haughtily has been contriving for me a great deal of honour but she might have saved herself the trouble i am not sufficiently ambitious pray don't be angry with her mrs bold said he or with me either certainly not with you mr stanhope said she with considerable sarcasm in her tone certainly not with you no nor with her said he imploringly and why may i ask you mr stanhope have you told me this singular story for i may presume if i may judge by your manner of telling it that that you and your sister are not exactly of one mind on the subject no we are not and if so said mrs bold who was now really angry with the unnecessary insult which she thought had been offered to her and if so why has it been worth your while to tell me all this i did once think mrs bold that you that you the widow now again became entirely impassive, and would not lend the slightest assistance to her companion. I did once think that you perhaps might—might have been taught to regard me as more than a friend. Never, said Mrs. Bold, never. If I have ever allowed myself to do anything to encourage such an idea, I have been very much to blame, very much to blame indeed. You never have said bertie who really had a good-natured anxiety to make what he said as little unpleasant as possible you never have and i have seen for some time that i had no chance but my sister's hopes ran higher i have not mistaken you mrs bold though perhaps she has then why have you said all this to me because i must not anger her and will not this anger her upon my word mr stanhope i do not understand the policy of your family oh how i wish i was at home and as she expressed the wish she could restrain herself no longer and burst out into a flood of tears poor bertie was greatly moved you shall have the carriage to yourself going home said he at least you and my father as for me i can walk or for the matter of that it does not much signify what i do perfectly understood that part of eleanor's grief arose from the apparent necessity of her going back to barchester in the carriage with her second suitor this somewhat mollified her oh mr stanhope said she why should you have made me so miserable what will you have gained by telling me all this he had not even yet explained to her the most difficult part of his proposition he had not told her that she was to be a party to the little deception which he intended to play off upon his sister this suggestion had still to be made and as it was absolutely necessary he proceeded to make it we need not follow him through the whole of his statement at last and not without considerable difficulty he made eleanor understand why he had let her into his confidence seeing that he no longer intended her the honour of a formal offer at last he made her comprehend the part which she was destined to play in this little family comedy but when she did understand it she was only more angry with him than ever more angry not only with him but with charlotte also her fair name was to be banded about between them in different senses and each sense false she was to be played off by the sister against the father and then by the brother against the sister her dear friend charlotte with all her agreeable sympathy and affection was striving to sacrifice her for the stanhope family welfare and bertie who as he now proclaimed himself was over head and ears in debt completed the compliment of owning that he did not care to have his debts paid at so great a sacrifice of himself then she was asked to conspire together with this unwilling suitor for the sake of making the family believe that he had in obedience to their commands done his best to throw himself thus away she lifted up her face when he had finished and looking at him with much dignity even through her tears she said i regret to say it mr stanhope but after what has passed i believe that all intercourse between your family and myself had better cease well perhaps it had said bertie naively perhaps that will be better at any rate for a time and then charlotte will think you are offended at what i have done and now i will go back to the house if you please said eleanor i can find my way by myself mr stanhope after what has passed she added i would rather go alone but i must find the carriage for you mrs bold and i must tell my father that you will return with him alone and i must make some excuse to him for not going with you and i must bid the servant put you down at your own house for i suppose you will not now choose to see them again in the close there was a truth about this and a perspicuity in making arrangements for lessening her immediate embarrassment which had some effect in softening Eleanor's anger so she suffered herself to walk by his side over the now deserted lawn till they came to the drawing-room window there was something about bertie stanhope which gave him in the estimation of every one a different standing from that which any other man would occupy under similar circumstances angry as eleanor was and great as was her cause for anger she was not half as angry with him as she would have been with anyone else he was apparently so simple so good-natured so unaffected and easy to talk to that she had already half forgiven him before he was at the drawing-room window when they arrived there dr stanhope was sitting nearly alone with mr and miss thorne one or two other unfortunates were there who from one cause or another were still delayed in getting away but they were every moment getting fewer in number. As soon as he had handed Eleanor over to his father, Bertie started off to the front gate, in search of the carriage, and there he waited, leaning patiently against the front wall, comfortably smoking a cigar, till it came up. When he returned to the room, Dr. Stanhope and Eleanor were alone with their hosts. "'At last, Miss Thorne,' said he cheerily, I have come to relieve you. Mrs. Bold and my father are the last roses of the very delightful summer you have given us, and, desirable as Mrs. Bold's society always is, now at least you must be glad to see the last flowers plucked from the tree. Miss Thorne declared that she was delighted to have Mrs. Bold and Dr. Stanhope still with her, and Mr. Thorne would have said the same, had he not been checked by a yawn which he could not suppress. "'Father, will you give your arm to Mrs. Bold?' said Bertie. And so the last adieus were made, and the prebendary led out Mrs. Bold, followed by his son. "'I shall be home soon after you,' said he, as the two got into the carriage. "'Are you not coming in the carriage?' said the father. "'No, no, I have someone to see on the road, and shall walk. John, mind you drive to Mrs. Bold's house first. Eleanor, looking out of the window, saw him with his hat in his hand, bowing to her with his usual gay smile, as though nothing had happened to mar the tranquillity of the day. It was many a long year before she saw him again. Dr. Stanhope hardly spoke to her on her way home, and she was safely deposited by John at her own hall-door, before the carriage drove into the close. And thus our heroine played the last act of that day's melodrama. End of chapter forty two. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom.